Hello and welcome to the EPL Pitch Side. This podcast is powered by City FM and City Sports. This is your go-to hub for English Premier League analysis, transfer stories, statistics, and everything in between. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. On today's episode, Miami investment firm 777 Partners reached uh, agreement with Everton Football Club to take over and also to provide a cash loan. Newcastle United, they are embarking on their first Champions League journey in two decades. And Mikel Arteta of Arsenal Football Club has a headache on his hands. Will it be Raya or will it be Ramsdale? He has had to do some explaining after dropping his first choice goalkeeper. Man United boss Eric Ten Hag is also uh, in the spotlight. He has come under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, United have lost a couple of matches already to begin the season three out of their five uh, to start the campaign. Eric Ten Hag says that there is no crisis at the club and then we'll talk about africans in the premier league we'll spotlight andre onana he has had more goals conceded than saves made and so that is problematic for the cameroonian international hudson odoi these days places football for nottingham forest he says that playing for ghana's black stars is still possibly on the cards and then Tariq Lamte he made uh, a full start for Brighton and Hove Albion when they took on Man United he delivered two assists playing as a left back so a lot to chew on on this particular episode of the EPL pit side and to do this with me I have my two favorite people here Nathan Kwao and Edwin Kwakofi gentlemen welcome to the show all right thank you lovely to be here nice let's get into <laughs> the conversation with Everton Football Club uh, Miami investment firm 777 partners have agreed to take over the club and if you look at their history, they have a pretty decent sports portfolio. Genoa Football Club, Vasco da Gama, Standard Liege, uh, Sevilla Football Club, Hertha Berlin. So it's a pretty vast empire as far as the football environment is concerned. They also have a basketball team in, in Britain. So um, they know what they're doing as far as sports is concerned. Some people, though, have raised issues with the track record of some of the teams. So standard Liege fans have come to games with protest banners, not too happy with the direction their club is heading in. Sevilla have been flirting with relegation in the last two, three seasons or so. And then you also have Hertha Berlin, who have been relegated on the watch of 777 partners. However, there are some good stories. Genoa gained promotion. Vasco da Gama also gained promotion. So it's not all gloom, but Everton need a cash injection and they need a moral awakening of some sort. Nathan, what do you make of this takeover? Moshiri um, took over 94% in 2018. He's letting it go. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a very strange time at, at Everton. We've, we've watched games where the fans have protested and the executives have had to be taken to safety. It's, it's a very complicated situation at Everton. The fans are not happy at all with how the club has been run. And if you look at how things have, have panned out, there was only one way out of this. Moshiri had to exit at a point. And so, um, luckily for him, the, the, the 777 group showed up. Mm-hmm. And I think they have already started dealing with, with Everton at that level because reports say in England, they come from very credible sources, say that they've already given Everton a bit of a loan mm-hmm. to try and, and stabilize matters and give them some uh, cash as they... Um, Run, run themselves as an entity. So already you can tell that the 777 group is um, 
very involved in what they are doing at Everton. I'm sure over time they'll work out all the things that needs to be done on the paperwork side of things, making sure they've passed the proper person's test, making sure that they take all the boxes and, and all of that. So quite interesting, but I think for Everton fans, they'll be happy because it marks the end of the Moshiri era. That's not been too good. I mean, quick thoughts on... Um a club that's flirted with relegation twice. Uh, they don't have cash to purchase the sort of players that they want. What sort of impact will represent success for the fans of the club in the first phase of this takeover? Well, I think the first thing they need to focus on is avoiding relegation because the current squad they have, the current results they are getting, smack of a team that is heading down to the championship. And... Generally, generally will be very defining month for Everton. Mm-hmm. Once, if the takeover does come through before then, mm-hmm. uh, the owners need to put in some funds for them to get players, especially creative players who can solve that goal-scoring problem that they currently have. They've, as Nathan said, put in a loan already mm-hmm. because they can't directly give... Uh, Everton any money and until the deal is completely through so it, it says a lot about their commitment to the squad uh, I feel that for Everton fans they might be worried about the 777's recent run with the teams as you said a few mm-hmm. of the teams have had problems with how they've been run mm-hmm. but the the shining light for them is that Everton already bottom so how far uh, how further down could they go mm. in the league? So the only way is up. And I feel that you can hound the owner, the owner's Mushri for mm-hmm. how he's handled Everton since 2016. But you've got to note that he's put in 750 million. Mm-hmm. That 750 million since 2016 will, would be enough for any club in mid-table as Everton used to be. Except it doesn't look like they spent it well. They didn't spend it well. And uh, they had a, a lot of trouble with managers as well. Since that time, they had eight permanent managers in their team. And unless you are a club that has quality to offset... That's that, relegation behavior. Uh, that's relegation <laughs> behavior, obviously. And uh, they also, they've also what's had losses in the last five years. Mm-hmm. And for a club like Everton, you can't survive doing that. Uh, after the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, mm-hmm. they suspended their uh, partnerships with Russian companies, three of them. Mm-hmm. And that has affected their finances as well. You can't make decisions, business decisions on the spell of the moment. I think the way the club has been run in the last few years mm-hmm. has not been good. But they they can be encouraged Everton fans that they have in owners who have already shown their commitment to putting in fans uh, into the club, commitment to funding the stadium, uh, commitment to the fans as well. Uh, they said that they want to involve the fans as much as they can mm-hmm. meet with the fans. I think it's good signs for Everton, but yeah. they might need to set their sights on future Yes, I don't think they are going to survive with the way things are going. Even if they manage to bring in a few names in January, they just don't have enough quality to make it through the Premier League. So I think this investment should be mm. set for future years. Well, 
Let's get to the camp of Newcastle United. Um, it's a new dawn at Newcastle. They are in the UEFA Champions League. That is a big deal for them. They're up against AC Milan and AC Milan have had a torrid time against Premier League teams in recent years. So they have just about one win in their last 10 outings or so um, mm. against Premier League sides. They got batted by five goals to one in their game against their rivals uh, Inter Milan. So Newcastle should be feeling pretty um Positive going into this one. Now, what I have here is really interesting. I have a score or a team sheet from the last time Newcastle were in the Champions League and it's amazing. It was in 2003 and this was a game against Barcelona. Now, their strike partnership was Craig Bellamy and Alan Scherer. And then they had <laughs> they had Robert and Norberto Solano on the wings. Jermaine Ginas and Dyer uh, in the middle. So that's how it looked. And guess who were on the side of Barcelona? Patrick 2003. Cla Patrick Clivet and Clivet. Juan Roman Riquelme Riquelme. were up at top. They had Mendiata and Fabio Rochenbach. They had, they had Thiago Mota mm. and Xavi Hernandez. So very interesting <laughs> uh, players. And that's how long it's been. Yeah, that's how long it's been since yeah. Newcastle last played in the Champions League. Guys, I mean, what do we, Nathan, what, what do we make of their prospects? Can they at least navigate a spell out of the group? And will that be enough for a first try? That's that will be tough. Um, that will be quite tough for Newcastle. The fact that the group they are in, I mean, there's AC Milan who are Champions League royalty. Yes, of course, in the last few years they haven't done too well, but they are far more used to this competition than mm -hmm. than Newcastle at, at this stage of 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 their existence. You know, and and you look at the other the other teams in 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 that group. Um, I think that's. Um, do they have to Barcelona? I'm, tr I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get PSG, the, the PSG, mm -hmm. PSG and, and Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund. Very good. So that's, that's a group a, of death. That's a very complex group. Newcastle themselves are in. You've got AC Milan, who you can say are so-so, but in terms of um, quality, they do have the quality. And if you look at you know the others, PSG. Dortmund, they have played deep into the Champions League in the last few years. They understand what this competition means. So it is a very complicated group for Newcastle. I wonder how they are going to navigate the first one, but they'll have to take it one game at a time. Mm. But for the fans, it's just the fact that Champions League football is back at St. James's Park. Those things are invaluable. You cannot quantify what it means for fans to meet other fans from other parts of Europe. But to watch your hometown team mm -hmm. mix it up with the biggest teams in European football is absolutely thrilling. And it will be a good adventure for them. But it will be very demanding. Mm -hmm. They need to find a way of navigating those tests home and away against Milan, PSG especially, and then Borussia Dortmund. These teams are great, young, dynamic, and they have a lot more experience in the Champions League than Newcastle have had in the last 10 years. Mm. Well, I'll say something, right? I think that Newcastle are good enough to get out of that group. I look at what's happening with the teams in that group in terms of context. Borussia Dortmund always do a high turnover yeah. of players. And this season, entering, to be honest, Dortmund have been very poor. Entering every so, campaign. Yes. They don't look really solid after a collapse last season. PSG have basically bought a new starting 11 as things stand now. AC Milan did the same thing. They bought a lot of players during the transfer window and it's already telling from their performances in the Serie A. So I think that it might look scary on paper for Newcastle, but I think that if they, if they put the same effort they put in Premier League games last campaign into this Champions League, they should do. I don't know what you think. Yeah, very true. I think Newcastle are probably the most settled side in that group. I think that Eddie Howe has done a great job with his signings, the way he's 
held the players together, the way he's been pushing them forward and which ones he's brought in to augment the squad. And mm-hmm. I feel momentum counts a lot when you are going into these sort of huge games. Newcastle go into it off the back of a very important win. They've yeah. not had before that the best record, but winning before a match, a big match like this always helps. AC Milan, as you said, they went through a, a really shocking loss against Inter Milan. Another huge match mm-hmm. for them. But Milan are always a different beast on Champions League nights, especially at the San Siro. And expect them to come up for this as well as the fans. So it's going to be a huge test for Newcastle. One that if they get through with even a point, three points would be a huge result for them. But if they get through with even a point, they'd be so happy because it's such a good way to start off your campaign mm-hmm. after such a long time out. Hmm. So AC Milan, I uh, will be hoping that the Champions League aura that has characterized the San Siro when they play will be back when they take on Newcastle and indeed the entire group as things stand now. To the camp of Arsenal Football Club we go and they have steadied the ship as far as their season is concerned uh, very nicely. The North London derby looms, a battle against their bitterest rivals. As things stand now, um, North London is red. Uh, as, <laughs> as things stand now, yes. Yeah, so they have the bragging rights. Um, Ateta, though, uh, has been asked a few questions by reporters and some Arsenal fans. Now, in Arsenal's last game against Everton, interestingly, he decided to drop Ramsdale and use David Raya. Now, he was asked about the rationale behind that decision. And he says that, he wants to treat the goalkeeping position just like he treats the outfield players. And so he says there have been moments where he's thought about yanking his goalkeeper midway through the game and putting in another goalkeeper. But he feels like it would cause a stare because it's not something that is typically done. Nathan, unless of course they are very demanding circumstances or your hand is forced to to do that kind of thing. But um, I think I... I kind of understand Arteta. Look, you 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 have Ramsdale, who before his move to Arsenal did not really have the greatest reputation. And to be honest, he has actually done very well as Arsenal number one. He's earned the, the spot. Premier League's best goalkeeper as things stand now. You know, so so I think he's earned whatever position or whatever plaudits he's getting. Now, if you're Arsenal and you want to challenge and you want to punch really highly and punch above your weight to an extent you have got to bring another goalkeeper that challenges number one because complacency is always, is the biggest evil in the football team that wants to succeed. If players start to feel that Mm -hmm. this is my spot and I own it, there's no accountability. They'll start dropping the standards. Mm -hmm. So I'm absolutely delighted. Arsenal went for a goalkeeper like David Raya, who I look at and say that technically is better than Ramsdale in terms of his passing and his distribution ability. And he's a goalkeeper who I'm sure Ateta would love to to have or he would have wanted to have at the very beginning of this project or somewhere earlier than that. Mm-hmm. But Raya is coming nonetheless. And I think it's great to give him games. It's great to give him competition. It's great to see what he can do in a match situation. So you know what exactly these two goalkeepers give you at every time T so that if there's a problem, you know who to throw in. So I will not read too much into David Raya getting to start. Ultimately, he kept a clean sheet. Ultimately, Everton didn't test him that much. Somebody will say it's not the best test. At least he has one game under his belt. He's taking that out of the system. He now knows what it feels like to be an Arsenal goalkeeper in a Premier League game. So for Mikel Arteta, thumbs up to him. I absolutely love that they do have a goalkeeper who can challenge. And the two of them will compete and may the best man end the spot to be in between the sticks. Well, I have my own 
ideologies or opinions about this. Edwin, what do you think? You think that Ateta is really going to mix and match Raya and Ramsdale? Or you feel that this is just a foot in the door for Raya and eventually he'll kick Ramsdale out of that number one spot? Look, I think Ramsdale remains Arsenal's number one. You you do not switch so suddenly from a goalkeeper who helped you almost win the Premier League unless he, he's gone wrong. And I don't think Ramsdale has done too much wrong mm-hmm. at the start of the season. Perhaps last season, get to the end of the season, a bit of complacency set in. Mm-hmm. And that's why this competition from Raya is absolutely necessary to keep him on his toes. Um, I expected Arteta to just brush away those questions when he was asked, just say that, oh, uh, Ramsdale had some international uh, minutes d- during the break. Raya didn't, so it was important to you know get Raya some minutes. Yeah. But he didn't. He actually said that it was because of competition. He wanted to mm-hmm. make those changes. And it, it speaks of a manager who understands what he wants he knew this competition was going to arise. These questions were going to arise when he brought in Raya, uh-huh. who could be a number one for Arsenal. I just feel that he's given him a taste of, uh, as Nathan said, how what how it feels like to play for Arsenal. Uh, once he's got that taste, he won't be out of place in case he has to be thrown in for a big game or yeah, a game where Ramsdale is not available. So I still feel Ramsdale is number one, but that competition that Raya offers, it definitely helps keep keeps the, the England keeper on his toes. Mm. So Ramsdale will need to be on his toes. I think that Raya will kick Ramsdale out of that spot eventually. <laughs> um, I feel like they will gradually ease him in because he's he's on loan. Don't don't forget, it's not yes. a it's not a permanent transfer yet. But the the reports in the background say that Raya has been really impressive in training sessions, and he gives Ateta a lot of delights with how he starts play from the back and helps them to retain and recycle possession. So there's that on the cards. But Tottenham are doing great things. They are the third highest scorers yeah. in the league. They are locked on points. 13, I would ask now. Um, Postecoglou yeah. is doing great things. No hurricane, no problem. Nathan? Yeah, it's a, it's a manager who um, plays attacking football and Spurs have always been built on those principles. Their fans want the team to play directly towards the other side and attack the opposition. But like you said, what he's brought to this setup is the unity, the 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 understanding that there's no hurricane. So we all need to pitch in and we all need to up the levels of play. And I feel that he's done that. When I look at players like Yves Bissouma, Dejan Kulusevski, Udogi, um, Son mm-hmm. getting goals. Richarlison got to score over the weekend, which yeah. is absolutely brilliant. He needs that. But most importantly, there's this positivity about them. The football is great. The celebration to how they play. Everybody understands what they are doing and they are willing to work hard for each other and, and it's showing in the results. Of course, there will be challenges, but I feel that they've handled all the things that have been thrown at them. A Man United team that tested them in the first half, but they overcame. A Sheffield United team that tested them mentally and in terms of character because they scored late and Spurs even had to find later goals to counter whatever it is that Sheffield threw at them. So I'm happy with them the progress they've made. There will be tougher tests. There will be questions asked of, asked of them. But I feel that they are gradually 
growing. Mm-hmm. It's only five rounds yet, but you can tell that this is a team that really wants to achieve. Let's see what they do. I don't know where it is they want to finish the season because there's a lot between themselves mm-hmm. and the rest of the season and eventually where everybody will finish. Yeah. And so they will have to take it one game at a time. But I'm delighted with what Ange Postecoglou is, is letting them do on the pitch. Let me show you or let me tell you about some of the numbers behind their success and the differences between this team and what they had last season. So in terms of goals, um, average, they are averaging 2.75 goals as compared to 1.84 last mm, season. Yeah. Expected goals, uh, which is XG, their uh, XG is currently at 1.84 compared to 1.52 last season. Okay. Shots, they, are, uh, they have 18 shots per game uh, as compared to 13.63. Uh, uh, they have seven of those on target compared to 5.24. Touches in the opponent's box, amazing, 43.25. Last season, they had 23.63. So that's almost double. Yes, it's, I mean, it's just a and consequence then, of the fact that they are yep. attacking more. And yep. Postecoglou generally likes his teams to attack. So yeah. once he has the tools, yeah. you can tell that their production will definitely And then you have up. passes into the opponent's box, again, 30.50. 26.24. So the, the, the numbers don't lie. Edwin, who wins this one though? And what are your key matchups you're looking at? Look, I'm thinking this ends in a draw. I think both sides cancel each other out. Attack, mm. brilliant attack. Midfield, very strong midfield now, especially for spares. I think it's in defense where you you find the difference makers. And I feel the two teams have mm-hmm. frailties, have uh, strengths that cancel each other out. And uh, you talk about matchups. Uh, I'm going to be looking at how a, a player like Zinchenko deals with Kulusevsky. Mm. I'm a huge fan of Kulusevsky. Mm-hmm. His technical ability, his crossing ability. And with how Ateta utilizes Zinchenko as an inverted fullback most of the time, he spends a lot of time in midfield. In transition, Spurs will be very, very uh, quick to target that side because it's mostly open unless uh, other players cover for Zinchenko in that position. And leaving Kulusevsky on his own, giving him enough space to think through a pass, think through a cross, or even uh, shoot himself, which he's very capable of, it gives Spurs an edge. And I think Spurs already have a lot of edges. They have players all over the pitch who can make a difference. We've seen Son. If Son is not having a good day, uh, uh, Kulusevski steps in. If Kulusevski is not having a good day, Madison steps in. And recently, in, as recently as in the last game against Sheffield United, you saw Richarlison getting a goal. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of options for Spurs and Arsenal need to be at the best. But I feel that they also have a lot to offer going forward. With even without Martinelli, we we, we um, he might make it for mm-hmm. that game. But yeah. even without him, they have Trossard on the bench. Um, Kai Havertz can come in, make a difference. We saw Vieira mm-hmm. start and play very impressively as well. And of course, you can't count out uh, Saka and yeah. Jesus. So Arsenal have a lot of uh, threats going forward as well. So I think they are strong enough to cancel each other. And they have two good, good managers mm. who 
I'm looking forward to a very good t- tactical battle. In good this tactical Sunday. battle, match week six. Well, some of the notable uh, games for match week six also include Liverpool versus West Ham. Uh, Kudus knows a thing or two about scoring against Liverpool. <laughs> so we need to look out for that. The Sheffield United, Newcastle. We'll check that out. Hopefully, Chelsea can find their scoring boots against Aston Villa because it's been terrible. Yeah, Man United. And they're coming up against a Villa team that, yep. that, is, that is showing yep. some great promise. Exactly. Let's talk about um, Burnley Man United Eric Ten Hag says there is no crisis um, <laughs> it's three defeats in five matches already it was a humbling to Brighton and Hove Albion who had made six changes mm-hmm. to their lineup including playing Tariq Lamte for the first time as a left back yeah it was it was a very horrible afternoon from a Man United perspective an afternoon that has left a lot of things being said about the club. And I think it even puts more pressure on Manchester United because by the time they take on Burnley over the weekend, nobody knows what kind of result they'll get against Bayern Munich. Now, from what we've seen, a loss looks like something that can easily happen in Germany. So assuming yeah, that happens, likely. then it, it hikes the pressure 10 times more and they have to go and get a win at Burnley, you know. And, and Burnley are also looking for somebody to pick points off and, and, and get their first three points. Imagine if they do get their first three points of Man United. Then we go into overdrive, really. So it's a tough time for Man United. Um. Do I agree with Eric Ten Hag that there's no crisis? I'll say largely, but I feel that United kind of have brought this on themselves because one, when you are Man United, everything is is magnified by 100%. When you don't play well, especially when you are outwitted tactically, not by some mad scientist type scheme, but by very simple tactical tweaks you don't find answers to. And when you spend as much money to to improve your squad and the squad looks like it's going backwards, then you will have a lot on your hands to deal with if you are Eric Ten Hag. So I won't say there's a crisis. I feel that United will have to knuckle down mm. and start getting, or if the wins don't have to be pretty, but I feel that if they get a few wins on their hands, they'll start to feel a, a bit more confident and then they can start to do what they want. It will be a tough ask, you know, but like I said, whatever happens in midweek against Bayern Munich will set the tone for how Man United will play against Burnley. Well, I say they're on the brink of a crisis. They need to win that game. So let's see how that game goes. Let's take a breather here on the EPL Pitta. When we come back, we'll get into some talk of African players. Welcome back to the EPL pit site. My name is Benjamin Nketiah and I've been talking to Nathan Kwao and Edwin Kwakofi. Let's get into the spotlight on African players and let's talk about Andre Onana of Man United. He, again, is under the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. 10 Premier League goals conceded and he looks like every time he faces a shot, he will let in a goal. Edwin, it's 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 harrowing if you're a United fan to, to look at your goalkeeper in between the sticks. Just not be able to save anything. It is, um, but you've got to understand the extenuating circumstances. I think United are suffering because of that midfield problem. Having Ericsson and Casemiro, both old legs who can't do the running anymore, it means less uh, protection for the back for less protection for Onana and he's suffering for it but he himself has not he's not covered himself in glory I I need to go through some of his stats Mm. his save percentage so far this season is 65% which is lower than the average 69% he the lowest person has what's 62% which means he is very close to 
being one of the lowest uh, goalkeepers, lowest rated goalkeepers in terms of save percentages. Mm. In terms of crosses stopped, 4.5% per game. He stops only 4.5% of crosses per game. The, as a goalkeeper, you need to be more commanding of your area. He's uh -huh. certainly not doing that. And it's not inspiring the uh, confidence of the defenders as well. They are themselves have their own issues all over the place. But if your goalkeeper can't save shots, uh -huh. if your goalkeeper can't, uh, is always beating anytime a, a ball comes to him, uh -huh you are going to start questioning him at every opportunity. And even when you can't stop the shots from coming in, yeah. you just lose hope. And I feel United fans need to be a little, uh, maybe patient with Onana. They need mm. to be a little patient with Onana. Things aren't going well right now. Yeah. But if they get in their signings, Amrabat maybe, if Mason Mount comes back, offers that protection, things will things definitely improve. improve. Well, let's talk about Callum Hudson Odoi. He recently granted an interview to The Telegraph where he said that the doors of playing to, uh, the, the doors are not closed as far as playing for Ghana's Black Stars is concerned. Now, he's already received three England call-ups, but he's still eligible um, because of the rules that apply. Also, um, he says that he wants to basically settle down at Forest, but um, there's a possibility that he could still suit up for Ghana, Nathan. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not too surprising. But he, he threw in some very interesting caveats. So you mentioned one that said he needed more game time. But somewhere in that interview, he also said, well, if he gets more game time, then he'll wait for either a call from Guide Southgate or Chris Hutton. I think this ship should have should have sailed. You as, know, as, as as a Ghanaian, I don't think there's room for Hudson Odoi on the wings. I, I I get you completely. I think he was a player who was trying to play the waiting game to see whether England would show up. And depending on when England shows up, he decides, okay, let me go to England or let me go for the Black Stars. Eddie Nketiah was in a similar situation, but he got some clarity, gave it a little time. England handed him a call up and that's it. I think that door's closed. I don't know whether it will open later. But for Callum Hudson, like I said, he was in the same situation. I'm sure he was also playing the waiting game. But I think he should have better understood his own circumstances. Because if you leave Chelsea and go to Bayer Leverkusen on loan and you do not make an impact, clearly you are not convincing any national team manager to look at you. And then you come back to Chelsea, you still don't make an impact. You get sold to Nottingham Forest. At this point where Chris Hutton is almost close to making a proper decision on who he wants on, on the flanks. I feel that Kalim Matsunodo is racing against time and he has to perform. He has between now and say December or January mm -hmm. to make a strong case to either Gareth Southgate or Chris Hutton. Who will he impress? I cannot tell. I think England's wing options are very full. They even left out Sterling. You know, the they even, they've left out Raheem Sterling. He hasn't played in the last two, three games for England. So, Callum Atenodo is, 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 is on a bit of a of a waiting list. We have to wait and see. But I completely agree with you. I feel that the Black Stars needs to focus really on what they have now. Because the question is, who is he going to upstage? Mm. What does he add to the team? Does he improve anybody? Or does he improve the squad? Should he yeah. be giving a chance? Whatever it is, he has to impress. He has to show that he has what it takes. And then we'll see which international manager will give him that call. Final player on our list is Ghana's own Tariq Lamte. He uh, made a full start against Man United after close to three months on the sidelines. Delivered two assists in that game mm -hmm. as well. What's his future like under Deserbi Edwin? 
Look, I think he's impressed down the left-hand side to be in Deserbi's mind as a player to use going forward. And of course, that impacts his chances with the Black Stars. He's been out for a while with injury and it will take some time, some more uh, minutes at the club level. But he's definitely an option for Ghana at right back. And as we saw in the game against United, at left back as well. And left back is a prob- uh, problem area for the Black Stars. He could fit in there very well as long as he gets more practice minutes mm-hmm. with Brighton. But a good start, a good return for him. He just needs to keep, keep up this form and he will definitely be a player that could make some impact in the Premier League this season. Well, we'll be looking forward to a big season from Tariq Lamte. And that's all for this episode of the EPL Pitside. Thank you very much, Edwin. Thank you very much, Nathan. Uh, my name is Benjamin Inketia. And that's all for this episode of the Pitside. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Many thanks for doing the listening.